Elizabeth, remember when we started making this podcast? Boy, do I. It was two years ago. Can you believe that? Two years. Oh, I can because we were just so focused on getting it right and learning all these programs, right, oh. to try to make it perfect. If only we had heard about Anchor by Spotify. It's so easy. It makes everything better because it's all in one place. Everything you need. It allows you to record and edit the podcast right from your phone or computer. Tell me about the hosting capabilities. Oh my gosh. You can upload that thing to any of the platforms, including Apple. How much is it? It's absolutely free. What? If only we'd known that part a couple years ago. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Daddy Issues. Tell me about your father's current affairs and pop culture talk show in which we determine what in recent news exhibits the symptoms of daddy issues. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. And I'm Erin Hosier. And today we are so excited to have as our guest, Youngmi Mayer, comedian and host of two incredible podcasts, Feeling Asian, which she co-hosts with Brian Park, and a new show with an amazing name titled Harry Butthole, in which guests share a painful story, which Yagmi then meets with a funny story. We're going to hear more about that later. We're thrilled to have you here today. Welcome, Yagmi. Yay. Hi. 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 I'm so Thanks happy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. For, for listeners at home, we're talking to Young Me right now. We can see her over the software that we're using. And she has the most beautiful, majestic kitty on her lap mm. who is gazing up at her lovingly. And he yeah. adores you. He is a, well, I found, somebody found him and his brother in their garage. And then I adopted them so i th i think he's a main coon mix and i feel like he exhibits all the um, personality traits he's extremely friendly he's like mm -hmm. he needs to be held 24 7 which i know everyone wants that in a cat but i think it's a lot when you live with and then people like if i make a video and he's in the video and i'm holding him people are like you obviously abuse your cat because he's emotionally <laughs> starving and i was like I've been holding him since 5 a.m. Like my shoulders just gave out. He, he also looks like a big guy. Like, I think, yeah, your shoulder would give out. And the hair. And the hair. Ugh. Yeah. And the hair. Hairs everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, young me, I have been hearing about you for years from Chansofala. She is the co-owner of 1-800 Bleach Me Salon in the East Village. Go see Chansofala if you want to have amazing hair, everybody. That's um, right. And one of the reasons why I've been so interested in having you on the show is because I think listening to you talk on Feeling Asian and Harry Butthole, but also just the crux of those shows, you know, you're funny, but you also have a keen understanding and willingness to talk about things like trauma and loss and pain, specifically in the context of being Asian American. Tell us about how Feeling Asian came to be, how it got started. Yeah, it's interesting that that's like um, what you've noted about my podcast and my work, because that's actually why we started Feeling Asian. My co-host Brian Park is a stand-up comedian that I met on the stand-up circuit in New York City. 
And I, I feel like we were at an open mic and I was doing my jokes and he was like the only one in the audience that was laughing because they were about my Korean mom. So we became fast friends. And then probably like a few months later, he was like, I want to do this podcast. And the whole point of the podcast is that I'm going to be very vulnerable and open about bad things that have happened to me um, because I want this podcast to be about subverting the stereotype that Asian people are sort of repressed or emotionless because that's like how society, I feel like in America, views us. It's either repressed or not even like a full human being, like so, mm. an entity that doesn't have emotions. And so I, I think just growing up, because I did grow up in Korea with Asian people and I have so many Asian friends, I what I was seeing was that there's like no allowance in our culture and in Asian culture for Asian people to just be like, I do have emotions. And of course I do, because I'm a human being like anyone else. And so I, I thought that starting this podcast with Brian would be a great way to be like, well, here are my hot mess emotions. <laughs> I'm the hottest of messes. The hottest. <laughs> the, the hot and messiest of me hot messes and if i if i'm gonna openly talk about this then i i hope that it makes you feel like there's space for you to talk about it too and it's not really anything that anyone should feel ashamed of or try to hide yeah right how long have you guys been doing the show for so it was six months before the pandemic started in 2019 wow. yeah so it's been like two years now so you have the show going like at the height of just the the shit here. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad we started when we did because it did pick up steam. It did pick up momentum very quickly. And then mm -hmm. that made me feel like, oh, there's like a need for this mm -hmm. as a community. And then the pandemic happened. And obviously for everybody, they were dark times, but they were very dark times for Asian people because I feel like we were going through what everyone else was going through. And we had the added trauma of being attacked. Mm -hmm. And that time was so confusing for me because I was living in the East Village and I would walk out and experience racist things. And so it, it was really nice to have the podcast where I could sit and talk. And I, I think it, at that time, it did reach a lot of new ears. And also just listening to episodes of Feeling Asian, especially getting ready for you to come on, I just... It's so clear how needed it is, as you said, and what a, what an outlet it is for people to feel safe talking to you about it. But on the streets of New York or fill in any city, they don't. Yeah. That's horrible. And I'm so glad that the show exists for that to be discussed openly. Similarly, you have a sort of a similar structure on Harry Butthole. Uh, yeah. which, you know, makes us laugh every time we say the title of the show. But yeah. for listeners at home, it's based on a Korean saying. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I I was, of course, I was like, well, you're a podcaster. So, you know, I was spiraling about the name. <laughs> so I was like, I'm really committing to this. And a lot of people yeah. are going to be turned off before even listening. Yeah. But I was like, this is so uniquely, exactly, <laughs> the title is exactly what the podcast is. So in Korea, there's a saying and it's called, if you laugh while crying, hair grows out of your butthole. And like <laughs> our parents would say that to us when they were spanking us. It's like 
tied into this very specific, unique situation that I think a lot of people can weirdly relate to. You know, when your parents yeah. were, I don't know, I'm sure, I'm, hopefully most people, their parents didn't hit them. But if your parents hit oh, you. Oh, mine did. I wrote a book about it. Yeah. And the spanking <laughs> yes, so, thing. Yeah. yeah. But even if they weren't spanking you, if they were doing something sort of abusive towards you, I mean, in today's language, we call it abuse. But, yeah, you know, it's something that happens to this day, if they're doing something abusive to you to the point where you're crying really hard, they usually try to calm you down by making you laugh or tickling you or something like that. Confusing. And I'm not trying to say that this is Korean culture, but that that does happen, you know, or like when people cry, not even if they're being abused, like if something sad is happening, like at a funeral, it's a big part of Korean culture to try to like make each other feel better by laughing. And yeah. just human human culture, I think. Every, yeah. Everyone knows that feeling, right, of wanting to make each other feel better when you're sad. And so that was like the concept that I wanted to capture in that podcast. So I was like, I invite a guest on to tell me a, a sad story, and then I try to make them laugh. Sometimes about the sad story, which mm -hmm. I, I like to, but then... Um, or just in another way. I mean, it's such a good concept for a show too because I have a hard time when people are like, but stay with the sadness, like, but but sit in mm -hmm. it. Which I hear of like, no, I want to tell a joke and move on because I'm so uncomfortable mm -hmm. right now, you know? And whether or not that's something I need to work in, work on in therapy is probably, you know, yeah, I probably do. But it does. It's this instinct to okay. just be like, tell a joke, move on, you know? Yeah. And but in in the in the case of Harry Butthole, it's woven together really beautifully. And you had chance from when Night Hunter bleached me on to talk about a lot of painful and dark things that happened in her family, experiences she had with her father who was abusive, experiences mm -hmm. she had with her family who were killed in Cambodia. Um, yep. And then you talk about it in such a meaningful way and helpful mm -hmm. way. And then you meet that by talking about your experiences with your mother not taking your milk allergy seriously. But it's framed in a way that's still funny, which, you know, a lot of people could interpret as, no, that's traumatic. You hear, I'm in, I'm in a couple of recovery programs, one in which you often hear people talking about parents not taking illness seriously and the effects mm -hmm. of that growing up because you grow up thinking you can't tell someone when you're sick because all hell's going to break loose. It's going to be your fault. And so yeah. being able to frame that with humor, I think is so helpful because it's just a way to talk about it, period. Yeah. I'm really glad that you said that because I think that there's a lot of people um, who judge people for coping with trauma with humor yeah they think that you're invalidating the trauma or cheapening it and to that i would say there's different ways to for people to process things and it's like not really anyone to say but yeah also that being said obviously on the podcast harry bunhole it's not like someone tells me a sad story and they're like oh never mind this is <laughs> right, <I> like, right. <laughs> like there's consent <laughs> Half of the podcast is just making space for that sad story. Absolutely. Yeah. And and just sitting in the sadness. Yes. The other half is like, let's talk about what's funny about it, you know, and like the milk allergy thing is my whole thing was that my big, I think, abuse in my childhood was negligent abuse. That was the main one. And it's like very traumatizing. I, I feel like I broke a rib once or I. I had like some horrible infection or whatever, whatever. And I wasn't taken to the hospital. Right. And that's actually 
traumatized. Like that, that was like very hard for me. But it's also funny that I had a lifelong allergy to all these multiple foods and my parents never noticed. So in my 20s, I was just like powering through like, oh, like, yeah. I, I'm going to eat this. Like, why does my stomach hurt all the time? And then it took me so long. like that to me, it, it's funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and as you say, too, it is, I think, a helpful show for that reason. But I also think it's a helpful show and that comedy is a way to talk about painful things, period. And painful periods need to be talked about. Like your uh, your allergies were my endometriosis. Like (gasps) I would be like curled up in a ball, fainting, all this like, you know, you just can't do anything when you're a teenager for five days. And nobody noticed well that's just like being a a fucking woman you know know. like just being like being seen as female everything you say you're you're making it up okay right you're embellishing your own discomfort or pain which is fascinating i love what you're saying because it's it's also calling attention to the absurdity of it all like the absurdity that your parents wouldn't notice you know or that your parents would cause something harmful to happen to you. I'm not saying you, but to one or one of your guests. It's absurd. And therefore, there's humor there. Yeah, I like I like how you put that. Because also what Elizabeth was saying, like, yeah. we need to talk about it. And humor makes it, like, palatable to talk about. So we have to talk about it so yeah. to get over it right but i really i'm so happy i'm sure that this is we're going to talk about the sport like the endometriosis thing you know if even if you're not asian and you don't have never been abused if you're like female identifying we all know how that feels like where people don't see anything that we're feeling and it's like one thing where it's like if i have endometriosis and nobody ever noticed but like growing up and seeing that the entire world like the whole medical field doesn't care ignored (laughs) that's not real right she's hysterical you know that's like really scary too so it's yeah it's so scary and unfortunately when we get to our news portion after this we will be talking about reproductive health thanks to the supreme court but i wanted to talk to you about your your parents you know you you talk a fair amount about your mother and i saw that your mom from Mother's Day coming up is going to be on Feeling Asian as a guest, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, her episode comes out today. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. It already came out. Yeah. Your mom is Korean. Your father is white. You grew up in Korea, correct? Yeah, I moved to America when I was 20, but then for like half of my childhood, I lived on an island called Saipan mm-hmm. that nobody yeah. really knows, but it's technically a commonwealth of the United States, but nobody knows where it is. So I think that was part of my childhood. So you came to America later. Like what was your, you know, as an adult, essentially, what was that like? For lack of a better question. I had a weirdly very like sounds like my dad story that my mom would say in 1970. But when I got here, I had $500. Yeah. And I had no friends and I knew nobody. And I went to San Francisco and Literally, I was visiting my friend and I decided not to go back to Korea because I wasn't like in an abusive relationship with a much older man that I had been seeing since I was in high school. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't go back. Like I, I said I was on vacation and I just never went back. Wow. 
Yeah. Is that, and is the that vacation was San Francisco and you just stayed? Well, yeah, because I was visiting my friend who was there amazing. for the summer, visiting her cousin. It was just like some random place that I could go to. Right. And so I got to San Francisco. I had $500. And then I, I think what I did was I refunded my plane trip back to Korea. Mm-hmm. And so then I had like 500 more dollars. And then with that, I rented an apartment in like a meth house, which I didn't know at the time was a meth house. <laughs> it was $500 a month. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so then I had, I put the $500 in the rent and then I had $500 left and I was like, what am I going to do? And then I somehow got a job and like just kept living there. Wow. It, yeah. People don't, you rarely hear that anymore about the experience of people coming with X hundreds of dollars. You know, I moved to New York with a thousand dollars, which I thought was plenty of money. LOL. <laughs> yeah. I had six fifty. You, oh Aaron, so, I mean, our parents were, were not rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the biggest secret in the in the world, or open secret, that everyone here is rich, and I'm assuming so in San Francisco as well, and pretends like they're not. So, good for you. You came with five hundred dollars. That's incredible. Like what you said, it's an open secret that everyone's actually rich, and they're pretending not to be. <laughs> yeah. And in real life. There's so few people like us. Mm -hmm, and yeah. so I feel like we feel like we have to hide the fact that we came here with $500. <laughs> and be like, oh, no, I moved into a loft. And <sighs> that's that, you know, totally. like, <laughs> or just the, the, agony, yeah. the agony of being in that that era of your life and being like, yes, I can go out for drinks with you and overdraft my bank account because I'm too embarrassed to be like, I don't have any money. Yeah. Isn't that so funny? Because I feel like the rich kids that move to Bushwick are poor cosplaying. <laughs> yes, and they like, are. Yes. We're like, no, we're fine. We're going, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, exactly. I'll go to school cycle with you tomorrow. I guess I won't eat this week. <laughs> exactly. You're like white knuckling yeah. it to like keep up. Uh, I don't know. The illusion that you make like a livable salary in these cities. Um, but I do want to get back yeah. to, to your family um, for the, the purposes of the show. Tell me about your father. You know you talk a lot about your mother on the show, but you have talked about your father too, who's white and the impact of having a white father as an Asian American woman, how that played out in your life. And you have an amazing tweet that I wanted to read. That's, it made me laugh out loud, but I imagine that this was horrifying in the moment. The tweet is, you think it's all fun and games being biracial until you're out with your white dad and you can tell the waiter thinks he's your sugar daddy. Wow. Yes. I remember Yikes. being in a taxi with my dad as a teenager and him, the taxi driver referring to me as my dad's wife. And that was one time and it like is burned into my brain. So tell Aaron and I about this experience in the restaurant and just in general about how his whiteness has played out in your life or the impact of that. Well, I, I loved hearing your story because I think for a lot of teenage girls, very unfortunately for us, it is very normalized in our society. And this is a very long topic that older men have younger yeah. spouses that are, you know, yeah. female. And it's so normalized in the society. And, and sometimes it's it's OK, but a lot of times it's weird. And if you can have this experience, whether you're Asian or not. But I'm assuming your dad's also white. Yeah. <laughs> If you look like the same race as your father, most of the time they'll be like, oh, that could be his daughter or his spouse. Creepy. Mm. But, you know, right. they are not going to automatically assume. But if you're a different race than your father, then that's like much harder for people to imagine for some reason. Right. So they yeah. automatically assume you're the spouse. 
And I think the tweet, the experience of that happens so frequently, even till even today, mm -hmm. that it's hard because I just don't look like my father mm -hmm. and we're, we're different races. And so people, I can see why people would assume that there is a really funny, this is kind of funny situation that happened when I was an actual teenager. Because when I was a teenager, I looked pretty similar to what I do now, you know, obviously younger. But so when I was a teenager, I was like, I would wear a lot of makeup and I would just look, you know, like a bonanza. You know, a lot of mental health stuff was going on with me. And I remember once my dad was driving me, like he picked me up from school or something and he was driving me somewhere home, something like that. I had just recently bleached my hair. I was wearing a lot of makeup. And my uh, mom's friend saw us like on the road. And she was like, I just saw your husband with a prostitute. She called <gasps> my mom. And my mom was like, what? Like, it's 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. <laughs> like, what are you, where, where did you see? Like, where? She was like, did you see him at like a brothel? Or what are you talking about? And he's like, on the road. He's driving her. <gasps> and my mom was like, that's my fucking daughter. Wow. You know? How does he feel about it? Is he aware? Hmm. Oh, God, here we go. Okay, so this is talking about my father. This is real. Okay, just re it just hit me that I'm going to talk about my father now. <laughs> You're on a, on a show called Daddy Issues. <laughs> oh, that's what the show's called. Okay. So before I start saying anything, I have to give a disclaimer. My parents are very, quote unquote, normal for their age. Right? Mm, yeah. From that generation. They're like boomers. You know, mm -hmm. I'm millennial. I have boomer parents and their behavior is very on par with I'm assuming uh, everyone's like the both of you mm -hmm. like your parents mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. everyone at that age but I use such strong language to point out their faults that people think that they're like cuckoo do you know what I mean like I'm gonna say that my parents are misogynist mm -hmm. my dad's a misogynist and my mom has internalized misogyny yeah but I feel like most of our parents are absolutely so yes yeah so that's my disclaimer just if I use this kind of verbiage I don't want people to like spiral and see this like different kind of person so my dad let me just wrap up his personality really quick <laughs> he is a retired pilot he's a white guy from Jersey City he, in his youth, like immediately moved out of Jersey City as soon as he could because he hated it. Not judging him there. Um, and then, <laughs> and he's a very interesting man. Like he moved to Spain. He got married. And then, or there was a time where he married somebody when he was 18 and drove out west and she robbed him. And then he ended up in Spain and married another Spanish right. woman. And then she left him for a lawyer and he was like in this very remote little town in Spain for five years. And then he moved to Kenya and he learned how to fly like little airplanes. And then he lived in Kenya for like five years. And then he moved to like, uh, I don't even know, like some other part of Africa, like maybe Ethiopia. And then he moved to Alaska and then he met wow. my mom and they got married in Alaska and they moved to Korea and I was born. And then throughout my childhood, he went back to Angola which is wow. a country in Africa that was during that time was going through like the longest, I think it was the longest civil war. Right. Even at that point, it was, I think, been going on for like 30 years. And he went back to fly airplanes in the middle of the civil war in, in Angola. Like, that's my dad. He loves Clint Eastwood. He loves guns. He loves, mm -hmm. I think, libertarian is like what, mm. how his political leaning would be yeah. described as. 
But he also went to like UC Berkeley, like he was a hippie. And it's really weird because now as an older white man, like every, I think, older white man, he's like a full-blown Fox News Trump supporter, which is not surprising to anybody Mm -hmm. I know, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm coming back to the story about how did he feel when somebody assumed that a 15-year-old with bleached hair and lots of makeup was considered his girlfriend, he probably thought it was fucking cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all (laughs) not just because he's a white boomer but just I mean we hear this story a lot I can relate to that like the whole walking in a room with your teenage daughter but not your wife your teenage daughter who's very attractive because she's half of you you know that kind of narcissism where it's like I wonder if they'll think we're lovers you know and it's just like whoa, dude, you're my dad. I don't think he would ever say that out loud, but I think that there's part of him that's probably like, ha these people think I'm rich enough to get an Asian slave bride. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. Like that's, (laughs) and and the younger, like Asian woman, older white guy thing is a whole other fucking, totally, whole other thing. Totally. Which you've explored beautifully in your TikToks. A white guy in an anime shirt, like just like staring hungrily at you. The discomfort of that, of being fetishized um, as an Asian American woman by white men, and also maybe the unease that comes with seeing older white men or white men who exclusively date Asian women that maybe brings up some of that yeah. stuff around your dad. I'm wondering, or if that's true, I don't know. Well, This is a weird way to describe it. Like a very mild version of what we're seeing on like 90 Day Fiance, right? Yeah. (laughs) And by mild, I mean uh, atrocious. Mm. But like... (laughs) But like the almost bearable version of what we're seeing, it's like it's like the white guy that has like this perfect mixture of misogyny and racism where he says something like the Asian woman is the perfect woman because she is submissive, tiny Mm. and like won't talk back to you. It's like a mixture of the two because white supremacy tells you that you're white, so you're smarter than them and they're inferior. And misogyny tells you that it's she's a woman, so she's inferior. And like that toxic like mm-hmm. it's like this mixture of both is intoxicating for so many white men it's it's like it's so delicious like we'll never break them free of that like problematic ideology mm-hmm. you, they'll never let that go i've been around so many of those kind of white guys as a child and i feel like i understand them very mm-hmm. well and i i know like don't even bother arguing or talking to them cuz they're far gone it's like a spell that is like too deep and we'll we'll never cure them of that disease you know Mm. i remember being in high school and we had this really creepy i mean unfortunately i think he taught history which thanks i grew up in phoenix public high school system for employing someone like this to teach history but him going on a tangent about how great thailand is and how you can go there and (laughs) that's where he met his wife and you can get cheap suits for nothing And being old enough to realize that he was only talking to the boys in the room. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. the incredible racism of what he was saying, you know, down to the dog whistle that I think often is talking about cheapness when going to other countries. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Yuck. Thanks for employing him, Phoenix Central High School. There's so many of those. Oh, they're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard to tell them anything because for them... 
they're thinking it's a compliment. I've talked about this all the time, like how harmful um, racism that's like, like pointed at Asian women, it, even in America, for people who've never been to Asia, that kind of racism is so fucking hard to like deprogram out of people because they think that they're complimenting you by being like, I only like having sex with Asian right. because you're sexy to me and like you're gentle. Yeah, and I'm like, no, that means that you think you're seeing me as the most propertyist of property. Mm -hmm. And there's like this very deep-seated feeling I can feel from those white guys in Thailand or my dad to a certain extent or that high school teacher that you had that they truly somewhere deep down in their soul believe that they can kill or do whatever they want to me. And it's okay because that's what I was there for. Mm -hmm. And like... And that's the that's like the racism that's so sticky and disgusting because you can't even say you you shouldn't say Thai women are beautiful because they'll be like, well, what do you mean? It's not what you want. Like, yeah, you know, it's scary. It is. Have you talked to your dad about it? Does he listen to the show or has he heard you? Have you talked to him about it or has he heard you say these things on the show? I don't the think impact? he listens to the show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really talk to my father that much. Mm -hmm. I when I was still a teenager and I was still, you know, very obviously like I had all these like angry ideas and thoughts, I would try to discuss that with him. Mm -hmm. But that was way before I knew the language. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But at this point in my life, I don't think I would ever even attempt to loosen that from him. Right. Because it's just a huge part of his identity. Right. You know? Yeah. How is your mom, and you, you talked about internalized misogyny, how do you see her relating to your father in that sense? Well, okay, so I, this is the interesting part. The, there's a other side of this coin, and I think this is the side that doesn't get spoken about, is that there is a willing participant in that kind of white man, right? The willing participant being the Asian woman that's actually looking for that. And that's like, in a lot of ways, my mom, like my mom has a lot of internalized misogyny and a lot of internalized white supremacy. Like she grew up in Korea. She was born five years after the war, the Korean War. And the country was just like in obvious disarray. It was year zero. And to those Koreans of that generation, the white soldiers were their saviors. saviors you know, they, yeah. they were starving and they would come back, come by with like cans of spam and they'd be like, oh my God, you know, and he looks like. I don't know. What's his name? John Wayne. Or John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's the guy in the movie. And so they were sort of like idolized. And I think my mom very much grew up with that ideology. It's just like idea of this white man savior. I'm poor and shitty. And here he comes on a horse, which is such propaganda that America is spewing out into the world at that point for like over 100 years or whatever. And she totally bought into that. And like, I don't blame her. But that's the perfect like symbiotic relationship that those two types of people have right and so my mom I just remember throughout my childhood their jokes would be like oh Koreans are so like this like they're so shitty because they do this and that that's the kind of jokes that they would joke with each other they would laugh you know mm -hmm. like Koreans are just so bad at driving I know oh. it's like a stereotype but as a kid, I would like think that. But then I was like, I had this like very reversed thing where I was like, that's not true. And then the interesting thing about my dad is I my, my dad moved away from America, you know, in his 20s and never came back. He hates it here. Mm -hmm. He hates it. Like, and so he would talk shit about America, but it would be not racially. It would just be like, oh, the government's fucked up. Or something. Mm -hmm. so my mom has like has a lot of these beliefs that are internalized white, white supremacy. 
Yeah. Are they still married? Yeah. Interesting. Well, so I just quickly want to give you a shout out because you're really open about having gone through a divorce. You're a single mother. This is a Mother's Day, close to Mother's Day episode on a show about fathers, but you've been pretty open about that divorce was a good thing for you, you know, that it was something that wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily easy, I'm assuming, but that was for the best. And you have a son, Mino, who is so Mm -hmm. cute. And your videos (laughs) you posted, I saw, not that I stalk you on Instagram, but I do a little bit. You posted a poem about that he wrote today that was so good. Yeah. He described his home as a rectangle of joy, which makes me want to cry. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was so sweet. <laughs> Tell me about making a rectangle of joy for me now and being a single mom and all of that. So I love being a single mom and I love being divorced. And it's one of these things that like whenever something happens in my life that isn't like in line with what I've been told it was going to be, I really like discussing because then I feel like there is no representation for that. So like, right. I'm sure that you talk about this stuff all the time, but like our media is like run by white men, obviously. So like everything that we know we pick up is about how divorce is like traumatizing for the loser woman that's now 40 and who's going to fuck her? If Sorry, can I cuss would. on this? I've been cussing yes, a lot. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Like, who's going to fuck her? Her boobs are on the ground. Like, <clears throat> that's what we pick up on mm-hmm. TV. When you hear divorce woman, you think, eh, nobody wants her. You know, Judd Apatow is going to tell you that no one wants to fuck her. And she's wrinkly. Yeah. And, oh my God, she's not yeah. 12? Like, ew. Um, <laughs> and I was like, And I think I like internalized that message as a person just growing up. Obviously, even in Korea, people are like, oh, divorce woman, kill her. And even today in modern society, people are like, oh, nobody cares that women are divorced and single. Like, that's a totally acceptable thing for women to do now, right? Like, you would think that. But once I got divorced, people like feel weird around. Like, they don't know how to treat. And I didn't realize that was going to happen. And then, you know, you see people like on dating apps that are like, I'm I'm not going to date a single mom. It's like, Calm down, bro. I I'm not interested. <laughs> like, yeah, there's down. so much stigma around it, and for me, it was like one of the best things that's happened in my life. And you know, there's that really famous clip of Cher being like, "I am a rich man." Yeah. Like for me, the con was that I got conned into thinking that as a woman, I would be happy in this normative rule. Mm-hmm. And like, I thought I was like, OK, I guess I'll do this. This sucks. I was so unhappy. I got divorced. And now I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm so much like a better mom. I'm like so much a better person. Like the dating. I know I made a joke about the dating afters. I have zero problem dating mm-hmm. people. And it's like, you know, obviously I, I'm aware of like my privilege as like somebody that looks a certain way or fits into this box or whatever. But like all these things that society was telling me that were bad about this were completely not true mm-hmm. like literally it's just like on tv and that's it i'm not yeah. sad and pathetic and whatever and i think it my son you know the rectangle of joy <laughs> yeah. i think he senses that too because mm-hmm. kids can feel pick up your energy and so that's like i i don't know i always like try to say things like that like I'm not telling anyone to get divorced or whatever but I think a lot of people fear that their kids are going to be negatively impacted but I think what's way worse is them sensing your unhappiness yeah mm-hmm. right and they're in, for 18 years living with you being in that 
sad, depressed environment, that's going to be so much more harmful. Than- Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, both Aaron and I had parents that got divorced. I mean, Aaron, were you in college? Yeah. But like I was in high school, but there were certainly years and same for Aaron, not to speak for you, Aaron, um, that just it created such a palpable unhappiness in the household um, yeah. that it was way more corrosive, I think, than the actual separation. And my my parents were like that because yeah. they're still together. And there's they're like, I mean, my dad was also um, I don't even know how to say it, domestically abusive. Is that how you say that? Yeah. He was yeah. Physically abusive. Yeah. And it was terrifying. Yeah. Um, and that's normalized within households yeah. the world over. But yeah. It sounds like your ex-husband is a co-parent or does, is still in the mix. But so many, many women do it alone. Um, so thank you, young me, for creating a rectangle of joy for your son. Yeah. And for raising a son, mm. you know, in, in mm. a loving, thoughtful, feminist way. I mean, that's important, too. Good point. Good point. And I mean, I mess up, though. I feel, you know, like me, I, I just feel like the need to say I, I was calling my mom, you know, an internal, she has internalized misogyny, but I do, I do, too. I do, I too. Like we all do. All the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So on that note, let's move on to the news. It's been a really, I mean, this episode is going to come out on Monday, May 9th, but as of recording yesterday or mm-hmm. late Monday night, the Supreme Court leaked a documentary. Document was leaked basically, um, all but ensuring that Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we're going to move on to talk about that. But before we do, I have an announcement to make about this show, Daddy Issues, Erin. I can't wait. Um, We're changing things up here on Daddy Issues for future episodes. Our dad, not dad segments, tell me about your father heads. will know what we're talking about. If you don't, don't worry about it. That structure has gone out for cigarettes and has not (laughs) come home yet. We don't think he's going to come home. In that segment's place, we're just going to kind of loosen things up on the show so we can talk even more about the news and current events and determine how daddy issues play out in pop culture and the news in general. So that means we'll be talking about stories that feature power structures, dysfunction, um, repeating family patterns, abandonment, addiction, mental illness, Ron DeSantis's idea of what it means to be a man. Oh, that guy. Essentially, any of these topics, anything that would give our therapist pause, we'll be talking about it here on Daddy Issues Through That Lens. The culture at large is suffering from daddy issues, and we're here to offer our diagnoses. Let's begin. We're going to just move on to the biggest what the fuck atom bomb, although it shouldn't be a surprise because it's been slowly eroding forever and ever. Essentially, the demise of Roe v. Wade. Aaron hit it. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. So I have a psychopharmacologist. For people who don't know, that's a psychiatrist that doesn't do therapy. And I, he's just exists to manage my moods. And I've been with that guy for a long time. And he called me yesterday and he could tell that I was in a bad mood. And he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, just SCOTUS and this leaked brief. And he's like, oh, 
it's so strange. Like you're the first person to bring this up today. And usually like people are always talking about current events and, you know, the slap with Will Smith. That was, everybody was talking about that the next day. It's just so odd. And I'm like, hmm, interesting, you know? And then he he was kind of like, well, I guess it's, you know, what can you do? I just write my check to Planned Parenthood every year. And, and it just made me feel like, why are men? <laughs> like, what is their role in this, in America? We need permission from them to even like be pissed off about the fact that they control the fates of our futures and our bodies and are just kind of like casual about it. Mm -hmm. Just very quickly, some fast facts. If it gets overturned, almost half of the country will ban abortions in some sense. One of the most disturbing things about all of it is that so many of these states do not make exceptions for rape or incest, which I don't think mm -hmm. is something that many people talk about in this context of how insane this is. Um, but this isn't new. This is something that poor people, people who live in poverty, people of color have been immigrants, have had their access to abortion slowly whittled away for the past 20 years right under our faces. And so here we are now. I also want to add very young women and girls to that, talking about rape and incest. I mean, my first experience with abortion was a dear friend when we were 16 was raped and became pregnant from the rape and was living in a family situation where it absolutely could not get out that she was either pregnant or had been raped. And so we had to maneuver in the state of Ohio as young girls without driver's licenses even Going, she had to go to court to get permission. Like, please, mm. sir, a male judge, to get an illegal abortion, but without permission from her family. Mm. So she could just have that privacy. And the amount of time she had to talk about her story. And then that whole process took two weeks. You know, like adding adding to the time that you're pregnant when you could literally just have it taken care of in five minutes. It's the most common procedure, surgical procedure, mm -hmm. uh, performed in the U.S. on women. And one in three women have an abortion at some point in their fertile lives. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that about access because who's fertile? Young people. You know, mm -hmm. not that older women aren't fertile, but Rape and incest happen, and the victim should not be punished with a violent pregnancy. No, and it also introduces this whole concept of virtue over, mm -hmm. you know, getting pregnant and just totally ignores the insane trauma and ruinous effects of having to go through giving birth to your rapist baby. I mean, come oh the God. fuck on. Republicans. The very people that so desperately want women to have babies when they can't afford to yeah. are the people <laughs> who refuse to up minimum wage, who consistently vote against parental leave, 
who have made healthcare mm-hmm. impossible, who have made single oh, payer yeah. healthcare impossible. You know, gee, it kind of makes me think that the intention of all of this is to keep women who are poor and poor mm-hmm. women of color in poverty and people in mm. poverty without power. I'm so glad you brought up the financials. Most women, the reason why you're you're getting an abortion mm-hmm. versus giving birth and raising a human is that they cannot afford mm. to. And yeah. so I looked at what is the normal healthy vaginal birth in a hospital? What does that cost in America? You may ask. Um, it differs by state, but the average price of giving birth vaginally in Arizona is $19,000. Yeah. And that's before um, insurance kicks in. But as we know, like co-pays and deductibles and all that stuff, it's not yeah. uncommon to... I wanted to ask you about that, young me. Like, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. Did you have insurance? If you did, what did it cost to have a baby? So this is really interesting because my ex-husband and I were like, we were married for a while and we were like, yeah, we should, I guess we should have a kid because we were supposed to. And I mean, like, but I, I mean, obviously I love having a kid, but like when you're married, you're like, oh, the next step, let's have a kid. Yeah. And we literally had to wait until we had like insurance. Basically, we planned it. So yeah, like, like the, we got, I was like worried because I got pregnant, I think right around the same time our insur- we got insurance. Yeah. And I was like worried. I was like, what if they're like, well, we looked at your pregnant conception date and it's four <laughs> days before you got insurance. It's like four days. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. So my my birth cost $45,000. Yep. I had insurance. And so I paid only $7,000. Right. And plus $2,000 right. out of pocket <laughs> to the OBGYN with insurance. $9,000. Only in America, people. In the UK, in Australia, it's not yeah. just free, but they give you a goodie bag and yeah. post postnatal care. You know, they'll send a nurse to your home. Well, like both of you discussed, there's so many facets to why people want to ban abortion. And the facade is that it's like a moral, a religious thing. But we all know that why the fuck does the government care about God? Yeah. They mm-hmm. don't. Right. Yeah. Um, and so there's like this another secret hidden agenda that's very obvious to everybody they they're you know they're being paid for by people who may are making billions off of this industry and just putting poor people more deeply into poverty and that's that's how this country runs and that's how the billionaires make money and we can very clearly see why they're they want poor women to be forced into having children but i i i find like this topic to be one you know speaking of like the humor out of sadness to be so frustrating and so so fucking annoying that it almost makes me just turn to humor mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm just like I can't I can't sit here and think about it because it's, it's yeah. too obvious to me it's right it's such a perfect scam to me to be <laughs> like I'm gonna make billions off of you giving vaginal birth and then it's like well god it's because of god right and then all the all the cuckoo christians are like god and then it's like we can't we can't even say anything. It's like the perfect little scam. And that's why in this country we can never get to the bottom of this issue. Because every time you try to like talk in this like rational way, but I do want to put in my two cents because I did have an abortion and I had it in Korea. 
Um, and I wanted to tell you how that went. When I was 20, I got pregnant in this like bare, like horrible relationship that was a much older Look man older. who was like predatory. I'd started dating him when I was 17. And I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no way. And I feel like that was the catalyst that sent me to San Francisco, basically. I was like, there's no way I'm having a baby with this person. No fucking way. And I went to the doctor. Literally, my period was like two days late, but I felt very like sleepy. But I was just mm. like, I have a feeling. And I got there and the doctor was like, oh, my God, like you literally like just got pre like you're you just got pregnant. And she was like showing me the ultrasound. She was like, that's so like you're so sensitive, like you got it. And she was like, and like in Korea, abortion is very common in Korea because there is very little sex education mm -hmm. because they banned it because it's like, you know, Good idea. they're like, we don't want the sluts having sex <laughs> like that. That That's men's logic, right? Yeah. We don't want these slutty 15 year old sluts like that. To get themselves think. pregnant. <laughs> yeah. To the point where my friend at the time who was like 25 when I was 20 told me that she thinks she got pregnant from a toilet seat. And I was like, um, okay, where to start? Yeah. So I'm in this OBGYN office. And in Korea, the thing about Korea is that the medical industry is the opposite of the States. It's like mm. world class. There's so many doctors that I was at the time I was living in this northern suburb of Seoul where my parents were living. I went near my mom's house and it was like a neighborhood clinic. Right. And the doctor had gone to Columbia. Like there's too many Ivy League doctors that they're out somewhere like in the middle of nowhere because there's too much competition. And I walked in and she was like she already knew I was going to get an abortion. But she was like, so you're pregnant. Like, um, and I was like, abortion. And she was like, <laughs> she, she like really like half acidly tried to ask me if I wanted to keep it. Like, I feel like maybe that's like a law or something. It she is, was like, yeah. Oh, I don't, you want to do, don't you want to keep it? And I was like, no. And she was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, just to show you where I was in my head mentally, I was in the waiting room. I had to pee, but I felt like too, like I didn't want to like miss my her calling my name. I didn't want to get in her way. You know, when mm -hmm. you're a 20 year old girl, you just want to like do everything that everyone tells you. And then she sat me down in the chair and she like put the stick up. She's like, your bladder is so full. Why didn't you pee, you idiot? And I was like, <laughs> I didn't want to get in trouble. Like, oh, that's who that's I was a child. You know, yeah. I didn't want to get I didn't want to get in trouble with the doctors. So I like held my pee like yeah. I could not have had a child, you know? Yeah. And so then I went and I got the procedure done. It was, I think it was $350 out of pocket. Mm. It was very safe. It was very quick. I didn't feel anything. But in Korea, abortion is extremely common. And I remember a few months after that on the news, there was like this expose, like abortion is so common in Korea. How are we going to stop these illegal practices? But the truth is in Korea, it's just an open secret. On paper, mm. it's illegal, but every doctor just does it. Really? And they do it all the time. Yeah. And nobody really reports them. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like we all agree that there's some stupid old guy that's going to yell at us, but we're just mm -hmm. going to do it and we're going to let him think that he won. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's legal there now, but at the time, this was, you know, 2003 or four, it was illegal. Wow. But also thank God that you were there to have that and just Seriously. that you didn't have to experience navigating that in America. And I think about this all the time because Korea is also a very conservative country. The government is probably on paper way more conservative than America. But society as a whole sort of was 
of course, this is my opinion of Korea. So if you're Korean and listening to this and disagree, that's valid. But like how I see Korean culture is very much like we all know the truth. If there's an old man in the Supreme <laughs> Court that wants to act like we're sluts and he's holier than thou, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're going to let him make the laws and act like a fucking dumbass. But we're just going to be out here being women and doing it for each other. And yeah, we're gonna, it's like grandpa. OK, grandpa, you know, like it's like that's how they see abortion laws. Like, Yeah. And I think that's kind of like where we're headed right now, because so many people have been on the ground, especially in Texas, helping to mobilize and helping women circumvent these just the vigilante law in Texas that went into effect. Erin, you were talking about that. Well, just the criminalization uh, and the financial punishment, these so-called bounty laws, which, of course, have passed in Texas so far. And I think Oklahoma is like happening tomorrow or something where you can sue anyone who you think aided and abetted somebody's abortion. And that's the Uber driver or the doctor or literally anyone. And you can be in another state. If you know about somebody who had an abortion in Texas, you can sue them and collect. What a waste of time. Yeah, get a hobby. Do something. Play Wordle. I feel like the abortion thing, you know, like what we said, we know that there's like this agenda to keep people in poverty Mm -hmm. but i feel like i'm getting way way conspiracy into it like it's such a like distraction do you know what i mean like and and it's rightfully so because it's like a whittling away of our rights as human beings that's terrifying right and like what's to come is terrifying but then i'm like why is this even happening what a waste of like our energy Mm-hmm. And the court's energy and resources. Yeah. But that's such yeah. a good point, Young Me, and what I've heard so many people talk about how racism works is to essentially distract the victims of racism so that they're constantly addressing some yes. other effect of it. Yes. And then they're just mm-hmm. exhausted and distracted while Exhaust. this other insane new level comes down over them for them to sort of find the energy. Yeah to fight against, et cetera. That's a really good way to describe yeah. it. And you're right and it, when, that it's a distraction. Yeah. And like people with uteruses, we have to fight. Yeah. What you said with the racism thing, it's like if you're like a person of color or you're somebody like a uterus, you have to fight these threats mm. against your existence. Mm-hmm. And it's so much energy and time that we can't be Elon Musk. We can't be like thinking of a new way to get to space yeah we're we're, we're busy. Too busy like making sure that <laughs> yeah we're not gonna get go to jail for having a miscarriage do you know what i mean literally yeah uh i guess we could go on about it and it'll just be like at this point bitching about men and i really think that they should be in the streets more you know like it is a human rights issue It's so obvious to me that so much of it is economic. It's always on us. Like, who's going to pay for this baby? Who's going to raise this baby? Oh, it's your choice to have the baby woman or whatever. Mm -hmm. But what what do the men do? Like, they can just go away. Mm -hmm. Like, they and they get to keep their privacy I don't know. It's just fucked up. They do get to keep their privacy. It's not to say that men are not affected by abortion. We know this. Um, However, I do think that even silently, all men benefit from abortion. 
That's so, what I mean. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like we're that. saving yeah. you a lot of money. Absolutely. Like, child support for. Un- un- and also unbeknownst to many of them. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean too. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Should we pivot on? We do have celebrity stuff we could talk about. Should we just do Elon Musk though? Because we can kind of pivot from dad's get off scot free to big old Elon and his big dad, Errol. Elon Musk. It's not Elon. Oh, no. I was like, it's I always not assume. Elon? Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe tomato, I'm tomato. <laughs> Elon. Elon. Okay, so we're going to move on from talking about the <laughs> destruction of reproduction rights to, yeah. an, to another uh, topic that everyone's been talking about this week and is just as important. No, just kidding. Um, it is the Elon Musk. This was last week bought Twitter. Mm. Huge fart noise in response. <laughs> Barf. I don't know. Wretch. Roll your eyes. Scream, <laughs> scream into the darkness. We all know that this oh, sucks. <laughs> he sucks. Barf. Sucks. Um, I thought you meant that the whole world made a huge fart. They did. They did make a huge fart. They should. They should. Although I have to say, you know, the adoration of Elon Musk too is so real and palpable. Like I, my five-year-old nephew was here a couple of weeks ago and I took him to Central Park and he's in like a big costume phase of his life right now. And he was wearing an astronaut costume walking through Central Park. Which, you know, seeing a five-year-old kid walking around New York City in an astronaut costume, everyone's like, oh, so cute, blah, blah. And this guy comes up to us as we're walking and he like stops us and says to my nephew, I love your NASA costume, son. And there's a great man out there named Elon Musk who, you know, maybe you'll work for one day or something like Ew. that. And I was like, oh, keep walking. Let's keep walking past this <laughs> oh upsetting so person. Real. But yes, so Elon Musk in the news, obviously, because of, of, of buying Twitter, has this insane father story. And uh, Yangi, yes. you know all about I'm this. Obsessed. Like you, okay. Obsessed. So we're going to start it off and you tell the people at home, he, he has okay. a father named Errol Musk. He sure does. I want to call Errol Morris. Yeah. His yeah. name is Errol Musk. Okay. Errol, Errol. Musk has several children. Including a s- large children, large has several large children, and <laughs> and he also has remarried many times, including his stepdaughter. He married yep. his stepdaughter, and this isn't a case where it was like eh, he married her mom when she was twenty five and she was always an adult. No, she was four when he met her. Young me, oh. tell the people at home more because I this is so upsetting. Oh, also, I just want to, like, say that the large children is, like, a meme, like, a large adult children. (laughs) I don't mean, but I'm sorry if that was, like, I'm not fat shaming or, obviously. I just mean, like, they're full grown. Adult children. Adult. Um, So, okay, so I'm actually really excited to talk about the story because I think that whatever is going on with my dad, psychologically, is going on with Errol and also Donald Trump and a lot of these large dads, you know, like, large, like, bigger than life in the news so i this is how i understand it in my head i think i think there's like a similar type of man that lives in like a colonizer space like south africa australia america Mm -hmm. that are like raised in this colonizer culture Mm -hmm. that believe in this sort of 
oh, there was indigenous people here and then I colonize them. I rule over them. And, and like, that's how that's their state of mind. And yeah. I think I, there's a lot of guys like that, like I said, in America. But I think also like those other places that I mentioned. And I think South Africa is one of these places because, you know, it's like I get the vibe from Errol. Yeah. I'm um, sorry. Now, now yeah. I'm getting like I feel like I'm getting too like my weird theories, you know. Um, no, we love weird theories. But, you know, like it's like a type of person to, to live in that sort of environment. Right. And, you know, like South Africa, I'm sure that the South Africans there that are indigenous are treated, obviously, as second class citizens. And if you're a white South African, you've seen that all your life and it, it fucks up your head. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's something that that really strains that happens, I think, in those environments. Um, and I think Errol is like a great example of that. And obviously, we all know that he made a bunch of money off of human suffering. He's like heart of darkness in real life, right? Wow. And that kind of person, I think that sort of uh, toxic person, that like manifests in all sorts of parts of their life, including the fact that he married his stepdaughter. And I think people don't understand how creepy that is because we, we all know about the Woody Allen thing. Like, right. Mm-hmm. It's creepy because she was, I think, 11. Suni Previn was like 11 when he met her. When he met her. That's very different than meeting somebody that has like a 25-year-old daughter and then dating that daughter. Even though that's weird, that's a totally different totally. situation. So Errol married this woman and she had, a, I believe at the time, a three-year-old. So he just raised this three-year-old Ugh. as his daughter. And then, and then I think she got pregnant when she was 20 and then they ended up getting married and they're still married. Mm-hmm. And there is no way that that didn't, that sort of, personality didn't rub off on his son Mm. elon Mm. and to be fair elon has like publicly denounced his father he has hates him yet he doesn't want anything to do with him and he i think he said like he's a horrible person and it's like yeah we can tell (laughs) but it's like you see him doing the same sort of thing that his dad did Mm -hmm. and i think the part that about elon that a lot of people don't discuss is that he you know, grew up as a white South African in this environment where there were like black South Africans that were like servants to him. Totally. And he's, he's, he saw them in that way. Mm. And I think that's like a big part of the conversation that's missing. Yeah. And Elon Musk has never addressed that. Of course, he never will. But I'm reading about this on one of those like cheesy, like destructify.com websites where they've just like culled every source together. It's like all of these places where Elon Musk has talked about how evil he is. He will plan evil from a Rolling Stone profile. There's a biography of him where he talks about Errol. But at the end of this very extensive article about him, you know, uh, marrying his stepdaughter, there's one sentence that says he murdered someone. <laughs> it just says Errol Musk is also admitted <laughs> to, to murder. <laughs> he has a legend. Also. Oh, P.S. Okay, bye. And then it's just literally the end of the article. Bye. Okay, see ya. <laughs> Apparently, uh, there was a, a break-in at his house in Johannesburg, and he killed three of the five burglars. So that's ugh, dot, dot, wow. dot, yuck. Um, but yeah, young me, how does growing up with a dad like that not correlate in some way to your obsession with power, colonizing mm-hmm. the moon, mm-hmm. owning Twitter, buying things? Yep. Yeah. Having multiple, you know, 
seven sons, right? I know he lost one of his children. He did, yeah. And then he said he said that his ex-wife used that death to manipulate his emotions. Sure. It's like, no, I think she was just sad. I think she was just devastated. What is your problem, bro? Yeah, I mean, I think white supremacy and sexism, things like that are all diseases. But it's very, you can see the direct line of how like diseased Elon is mm. and how that affecting Errol and how that affected his son. It's like the trajectory is the same trajectory. It's like I'm a colonizer. I'm going to take advantage of all these human beings and make money off of them. And that's like exactly who Elon is. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Totally. He's going to get to go. He's going to be the first person to meet aliens and aliens are going to think that we're horrible. (laughs) Oh, dude. Oh, oh, wow. He's going to get off the spaceship. And he's like, hi, I'm a human. And the aliens are like, ew, you kind of suck. They're going to be like, all humans have hair plugs. Liars. Waxy. Waxy. Have weird fillers. Don't you love, not to body shame, but I I have less of a problem doing it with billionaire men, white men. Yeah. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, like, like flirty transformations. Like, they got injections. Jeff Bezos' face looks insane. Their, like, glow-up with their money is so embarrassing. It makes me want to die. I'm okay shaming them for that because they're the people who are like, I'm only going to date a 22-year-old. Or, like, they will talk shit about women, you know. Men openly talk shit about women getting fillers and plastic surgery, but it's like, uh, Jeff Bezos all of a sudden has a BBL and we're not going to talk no, about it's it. No, like, he, he definitely has a Brazilian butt lift. He has everything about him is BBL energy. He does, you guys. I, mean, I haven't seen this his is butt. Like a meme. This he is like a, a meme on TikTok. Yeah. Like BBL, like it's like just the sort of like energy that comes with the Brazilian butt lift. He has it. You can tell. Well, BBL is technically when you just get fat transferred from one mm. place to another place. He definitely had that done. So he technically Ew. does have a BBL. <laughs> and it's like and it's like people are making fun of women for doing this shit. All They make fun of, you know, those guys, those like Elon Musk stands are making fun of like Kim Kardashian oh, for getting a, a BBL. Thousand Bro, so does Elon. And can't you tell? Look at his face. Yeah. I know. I like, it's like yeah. if you don't have a pert derriere these days, you're a poor. You're you know, a poor. You're, you're a poor. Yeah. You're a poor. But you're also an old man that doesn't want to look in the mirror and say, if I didn't have money, I would my real hairline would be showing and no one would love me. So sad. I have a good dad joke line to end this segment on Tell for us. sure. What? The musk. Men stink. Ooh, Get it? Ooh, it never occurred to me that that word is also odorous. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. You know, musk, pheromonal, sexual, Elon. <laughs> the musk <E>. men stink. <laughs> what do you think Elon Musk is like in bed? Oh, Just, have horrible. You ever thought of I've, never I've thought, thought about that. it. I have thought about it because I think about like how Grimes and him ever. Yeah. I mean, she's. There's another name. Grimes. <laughs> Musky, grimy. Wow. Sex. Grimes's new partner is Chelsea Manning, who apparently called for people to arm themselves and start militias yesterday on Twitter, on Elon oh, Musk's good. Twitter. So that's All right. troubling. Do you have any feelings about, I mean, you obviously are very active on Twitter, young me, like about people being like, I'm leaving Twitter because Elon Musk owns it. 
when he bought Twitter. Oh, I do have feelings about tell, this. Tell me. Tell us. Well, I, I made a TikTok because it was weird because when I heard the news, I literally stopped using Twitter and I wasn't being like, I'm being an activist. I just like was like, oh, I don't want to. Yeah. And that was the first time in my and first time in years that I felt like that. Yeah. And then I was trying to like. And I know it's ridiculous because it's like, then I went on TikTok and I complained about Twitter. Like, I know how stupid that sounds. But like, for me, I know that my life is just making a bunch of money for billionaires and late stage capitalism. Like all of us are working so hard to make billionaires richer and all of us are going to be poor. I create content for free so that the people that own TikTok can have a have another yacht. But like, yeah. and that's totally, it's not fine. But I know, I understand that. I understand that whoever owns Twitter before um, Elon was just as bad. I understand all that. But right. it's like Elon buying Twitter is like, you're turning the lights on now. And now I have to like, like I'm in a nightclub Oof, and I know it's yeah. a dingy basement. And I know that like everyone in there is like a creepy old guy. But I'm dancing and I'm having fun, even though in the back of my head, I, I already know. But then you turn the lights on and I'm like, oh, man, not Elon Musk. Like, <laughs> yeah, on the dance floor. I already know. But can you just turn the lights off so I can pretend? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah. The cold. But I'm still using it, to be honest. There's nothing we can do. It's like, who cares? It's, yeah. It's pathetic. Yeah. We can make fun of him, but that's it. Totally. I mean, if it gets unbearable, people will just go to TikTok or go somewhere else. Yeah. Hopefully. And it does. It is a weird feeling to be like, well, I'll just go to Mark Zuckerberg's Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, well, I know that sounds it sounds so dumb. I know. No, I, know but exactly I, I feel the same way. Not that I'm incredibly yeah. active yeah. on Twitter, but it's the same sense of like, well, at least there's Instagram and TikTok. Like, yeah, it is difficult, but. Yeah, the musk men stink to end on Aaron's dad joke. Yeah, I like it. Dad jokes are kind of the gateway that allow men to not be funny and for us to sanction men to not be funny, mm -hmm. by the way. Good point. Dad jokes, yeah. Don't you like think? When we first are like, like that like is like us culturally being like men are allowed to not be funny, but women can't not be funny. Oh, yeah. Right. Like the opposite of boys will be boys. It's like dads will be dads. Yeah. They're going to have a terrible joke. But if a woman's not funny, it's like kill her. Well, no, it's like oh, women are yeah. not funny by default. Mm, you know? Good point. Young me, I know like, you've spoken about this as a comedian yourself. Well, I mean, I think it's funny because I went to two stand-up shows in a week and very randomly saw two comedians during that week that spoke yeah. about being raised by single moms. And the first, I believe they're both pretty famous, but they're stand-up comedians. So it's like, I don't know who they are. Um, yeah. But like the first was like, <laughs> you know, like the world's most... Who's the second world's most famous? I don't know. I know like Dave Chappelle. And then after that, who knows? Bill Barr or something. Bill Barr. Bill Barr. He's everywhere. Bill Bow. Bill Ball. Bill Ball. Bill that guy. Bill Bow. Yeah, it's like nobody knows stand-up comedians. It's so sad. It's, like, <laughs> it's so true, dude. They've been working since the 70s. So the first guy was this famous stand-up comedian. And he was like, I was like, I was raised by a single mom. And fuck her. And like, she was just so shitty. And she hit me. And I was like. I was like, okay, I I can see that your mom's abusive, but like, I feel like if you are raised by a single mom, the the fucked up shit is that means your other parent was way worse because mm -hmm. your other parent just wasn't there, mm -hmm. which is a million times worse than a, a bad parent that was there, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, and then the second comedian was a woman, and she said she had this joke where she was like. Oh, I feel so bad for when men say women aren't funny because that means that they they don't have a mother. 
<laughs> and so, she, and then she went on like, "Oh, you don't have a mom." So like, good. So she, her set was about how she was raised by a single mom, and she made everything really funny and fun because their life was so hard. And I was like, obviously, that's like it's very dependent on your situation. Like, even if you're a man mm -hmm. or a woman, if if you're raised by a single mom, situation by situation, it's gonna be different. Some single moms are extremely abusive and horrible. And some moms are hilarious and fun and she got you through it. And there's a huge like spectrum. But I wonder if their like gender has anything to do with this. Cause like she's a girl and she sort of understood her mom. And he's like a hateful, like Elon Musk stan, like YouTube guy. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like women, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. You know when chefs, the world of chefs, the most yeah. famous chefs in the world are all men, right? The top 10, top 50 restaurants in the world, there's maybe two women on that list. But in real life, who does all the cooking? It's all women, right? And and all those men were influenced by their mothers mm -hmm. and their the, their mother's cooking. And so if you were if you were smart, then you would be like, it's not that women are not good chefs. It's that the system only allows men to have the job of fancy right? chef. Mm -hmm. Fancy because chef. How could that be possible that most of our food in this world, any culture is made by women? And, right. and if we're being realistic, most of the recipes and everything like that were developed by women. And of then course. at the end, men take credit for all of that. And those men will openly say, I got my inspiration from my mom mm -hmm. or my grandma, all of them. Right. Um, and so I think that's how we should look at comedy. Like, okay, all these men are famous in, in this industry, but we're going to pretend that that stand-up woman's joke. Oh, they yeah. didn't have moms? None of them had moms? <laughs> so you're saying that all of them became funny because they had funny dads? Right. Yeah. That's the perfect <laughs> end. That's the perfect to end. beautifully balanced conversation. Totally. Thank you for sitting in the shit with us. Um, yeah. Young me, thank you so much for coming on. It was such an honor to have you. And everybody should listen to not only Feeling Asian, but Harry Butthole. And also, do you have any shows coming up? So I have my own live show starting this month, May 21st at 7 p.m. at Caveat. It's the Harry Butthole live show in New York City. And then I'm doing this. Uh, it's not a show, but it's like an event on May 22nd in Chicago. Yeah. Very randomly, like it's a Asian art comic book event, but I'm going to be there. Great. Yeah. If you live in Chicago, if you want to come to that and support a great cause, it's for all these great Asian charities. Nice. Chicago. Happy Mother's Day to you. Yes. Happy Mother's Day to our mothers who allow us to come create a show where we talk about our childhoods and our debts. And we love you. <laughs> and we love you <laughs> and we love you yes tell me about your father and daddy issues are created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson and Matthew Philp follow us at tell me about your father on Instagram and Facebook subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter that accompanies new episodes at tellmeaboutyourfather.com oh and Apple Podcasts is like the New York Times book review of platforms. So if you can, go there to rate and review us. We'd love to hear what you think.